0: Nehemiah chapter 10. Continue, uh, continue the study through this, this, this great book. Just so full of uh, amazingly timely application for us as, as believers in the time that we're living in. The wall has been completed. It's, it's done. Despite all of the all of the, the the attempts of the enemy to stop the work, to interrupt the work, it was done and it, it's completed. And as we've looked at chapters eight and nine, getting us ramped up to where we are tonight in ten. Chapter eight, remember they told Ezra, Hey, bring out the book bring out the word of God, and, and they did. Day after day, they read the word of God, and they explained the word of God, and it was, it was a great move uh, of, of the Lord through that, and understanding, and then in chapter 10, as we mentioned last time, or chapter 9, I'm sorry, we mentioned last time, the longest recorded prayer in the Bible, and as they went, and we went through that together, and The the overwhelming thing that just showed again and again and again and again is God's love, his grace, his long-suffering, his mercy, his faithfulness, in spite of the children of Israel's disobedience, obstinance, (laughs) unfaithfulness, ungratefulness, and Again, I'm so struck by that again, thinking through that again in my own personal life. I mean, how good God is to me. How, how gracious he is to us. How, how wonderful he is to us in spite of who we are. I, uh, I got I to gotta brag a little bit. Um, my daughter yesterday um, posted on Instagram uh, this picture that she drew of outer space and the moon, and she, my daughter's quite an artist, but she's really been lately um, really taking some giant steps in her walk with the Lord. It's been wonderful to see. She's a freshman in college, so she's been challenged in a lot of things and some different changes in her life. But she posted this this message along with that that went on talking about, you know, it, it, it amazes her when she looks at god 's creation and she said, You know she goes, Do we realize that that we, none of us have an original idea? <laughs> Nothing that we come up with is original it 's either based on something we 've seen God has already done in and through somebody else, or God gives us inspiration.." through his Holy Spirit, but nothing is original. And she goes on to talk about then, but God, everything that he did was original in his creation and all of that. And she's just going on, it was just so beautiful. But then she gets to the end and she goes, the most amazing thing to me though, in all of his creation, which is just a tiny speck of his creativity. I mean, it's just, this is just the, the tip of it, of his infinite creative creativity that we get to see. And, but in all of that beauty, and all of that creativity, the part that he loves the most is the part that rejects him the most, is the part that, that is so disobedient. She said, she goes, isn't that just amazing that he would still love me and all of that? And as I was reading that, it was just, it, it was just so awesome to me to think, oh, wow, she, she's getting it, and we need to continually get that. And as they were going through, they, they heard the word of God. And then as they were praying, they were overwhelmed by this this fact that God is so good and so faithful in spite of who we are. And just back up, if you would, a couple of verses into chapter 9. It's abundant produce, speaking again of the land now that they're back in, whom you have set over us. It's for the kings whom you've set over us because of our sin. They recognize it's because of their sin that where they are. And verse 38, now because of all of this, his faithfulness, his goodness, in spite, of, in spite of their defiance and unfaithfulness and ingratitude, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites and our priests. They've come to this point where they're going to say, you know, we're going to make an agreement. We're going to move forward in a, in a new covenant, if you would. They can't do anything about all of the sins of the the past. They can't do anything about what the forefathers did. All they can do is from this moment forward. The enemy would love to get us again convinced that because of what's happened in the past, our future is destroyed. But... What God wants us to understand is because of what he did for us, our future is yet ahead of us, is, is glorious in him. And, what, and they, they get that now. And they're saying, you know what? We can't change the past, but the future going forward, we're going we're gonna to commit our lives to the Lord. We're going we're gonna to commit to following after you. It doesn't matter what our forefathers did. It doesn't matter what the recent past is, basically like what Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is a, there's a revival that's starting to take place here. And I know all of us desire that, don't we? Revival to sweep the nation as Christians. Wouldn't that be the wouldn't it be great to be the a part of a of another great revival? Well, guys, do you know where revival starts? Right here. Right here. In each one of us. This is a it's it's interesting because. This, this document with, with all of this on it, with all of these names that are there, but the names are listed individually. It was a, it was a massive move of the, of, the, of the Lord in the people, but individually it's listed. And revival takes place when the word of God penetrates the hearts, and worship breaks out from those hearts, and, and then there's confession and, of sin, and prayer, and seeking the Lord, and, and then consecration, setting themselves apart. And I won't, I won't torture you with 27 verses of trying to pronounce those. You can do that at home, in front of the mirror, if you'd like. But it lists out the leaders there in the first 27 verses of those that put their names on the document. But I like this in verse 28. Now, the rest of the people following with what the leadership was doing, don't ever underestimate the power of your leadership. Regardless of of who you have around you, people are watching you. People are looking to you. And if you boldly step out to make a stand for the Lord, to follow after the Lord, to do the things of the Lord, you'll be amazed. You go down that road a little ways, turn around and see who is following you in that, who's been watching you and follows you in that. The rest of the people. See the leaders stepping out in this action, following, making this covenant with the Lord, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God with wives, their sons, their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen. They're nobles and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, to keep and to observe all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. All of them are making this decision, again, individually, this decision to separate themselves from the world. And notice that it's not just separating from the world. To the law of God, separating themselves from the world to follow after God. We've talked about this before. We're not to to totally isolate ourselves from the world. If God wanted us to do that, to be totally isolated, completely, never any contact with the rest of the world, we'd be out of here already. We are his ambassadors in the world around us. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations, right? I mean, that's what we're called to do. But to separate ourselves from the world means that we are not to have fellowship with the world. We're we're not to be in fellowship with the world. We are to be in ministry to the world. We are called to take the gospel there. We are called to be an example to the world but separating ourselves from the ways of the world as they were here and joining themselves to their kinsmen, coming together as as the family of God, as children of God. You know, it's interesting. That's God's heart for us, to be separated from the world and to be joined together as, as believers. Don't forsake the gathering together as some have a habit to do, as it tells us in Hebrews. But as long as it's called today, which what is today? today and what is tomorrow when we're there today right tomorrow will be today tomorrow yeah as long as it's called today we're supposed to be gathering together and encouraging one another encouraging other one another to do to do good works to come alongside each other in the difficulties and the trials that we face
1: it's interesting that's god's design unity unity is so important I think that's why
0: the enemy has so, so set on flipping that around. He wants us to be united with the world and divided as the body. Divided as the church. That's what he, he desires more than anything, to sow seed of discord among believers and to get us all all frustrated and fighting and agitated with each other. And then wants us to leave that, go out and be connected and, and dialed in together with the world. And God says, no, separate yourself from the world, don't become a part of the world, come together, encourage one another so that we can be effective in our ministry to the world. But notice as, as we're doing this, they, they're, they're placing this upon themselves, to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, to keep and to observe the law, all the commandments. If you're a note taker, circle that word all. <laughs> all of them. It's interesting today how many people feel that the... the 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 commandments of God are multiple choice. As long as as I get the majority of them okay, I'm all
1: right. As long as I get seven, seven out of ten. The commandments of the Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. It's interesting we looked at first
0: John chapter five real quickly this weekend. But the chapter starts out this way, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and it says the second half of verse 3, and his commandments are not burdensome. That is, again, one of the, the, the tools of the enemy, he wants us to believe that what God calls us to do is, a, is an enormously heavy burden, to follow all of these rules and regulations and, and everything. That when you talk to non-believers and you talk to them about following Jesus, isn't that a common response that you hear, man, it's just all a bunch of rules with you guys, <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's, it's really just two, Jesus said, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, hang all of the rest. Just focus on that. Don't get all hung up and everything. And bottom line is, and what John is telling us there, if we love God with all our heart and we love one another as God loved us, the commandments aren't burdensome. They aren't they become they become a problem when we take our focus off of the, the those two things and it becomes some legalistic obligation as opposed to just embracing what it, the truth of God's word and what he's calling us to do in that and they get a little specific in some of these things again that were specifically for the children of Israel in some things but i think that we can we can take some things away from this first of all it said again generally all the commandments but specifically in verse 30, that they would not give their daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for their, our sons. And again, that was very specifically laid out as to why. God said, don't, don't do that because they will, they will draw you away. They will be the ones, those foreign wives, the foreign husbands Will will draw you away to worship their idols, to follow after them. And I fully planned this morning that we were going to get to chapter 13 tonight. I don't think we are. So in chapter 13, we, we, we find out. They make this oath. Guess what? They don't keep it. And in there is talking about the fact that Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, decided if I, I don't have to follow this. I'm, I'm smart enough. I can marry a bunch of foreign wives, and I'm, you know, I love God. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll actually bring them over to God's side. Guess what? Solomon led away into idolatry. The smartest man, the wisest man that ever lived. What makes us think that we can get away with it then? That, that we can, when the, when the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? or, Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore... Come out from the midst of them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. Separate from the world, separate unto God, like we talked about before. And so many people, we talk about this a lot, it keeps coming up, so we'll just keep talking about it, because every time it happens, it seems like somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, you know, I've been thinking that I could get away with that, but especially when it comes to a, a relationship, you know, definitely in the business world and outside and other things. But when it comes to a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife relationship, the Bible is clear. Do not get involved with an unbeliever as a believer. Let me just say this. Do not go out on date number one. Okay? Do not, you find out that that person, you make sure that person is a follower of Jesus Christ before it goes even to the first date. And unfortunately, just like here, just like back then, there was a lot of reasons why there was, and you can come up with all the excuses to somehow somehow change economic status, somehow, you know, drawn physically or whatever it is. Again, believe me, the enemy will try to convince you that this is the one. If that one is not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling here to tell you right now, in the authority of the word of God, that is not the one. Well, I'm I'm gonna lead him to Jesus. Great! Then afterward go out on your first date. Okay? All right, I think I've said enough. Verse 31. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a, or a holy day. And we will forego the crops the seventh year as an exaction of every debt. The Sabbath they had gotten into the point where they were, they were buying and selling from people that were coming, Gentiles that were coming in from out, outside of the city walls and, and doing business with them. And again, it's not saying that we can't buy. It's not saying you got to make sure that your grocer or wherever you go is a Christian before you buy from them. That's not what it's saying. But th- this point here was the fact that it was on the Sabbath day. And the point of the Sabbath, and again, bot- By the way, you know, again, it talks about that in in the New Testament. We're not bound to the the Sabbath day as to that we need to take that day, Saturday, arguing all this back and forth, whatever. But understand originally, again, God's intent for for his commandment, especially when it comes to the Sabbath day. Again... The, the children of Israel turned it into all of this legalistic rules that you have to follow and all of this kind of stuff and make sure that you don't step over this line because if you do, you know, the, the punishment and all this kind of stuff. We talked about this to the point where there was comical, I mean, to the point of just lunacy. You're not, you can't spit on the Sabbath according to the way that they took those laws because if, if you did, you better make sure it lands on a flat rock. Because if it lands on a tilted rock and there's dirt and it makes a crease in the dirt, you're guilty because you just plowed. I didn't make that up. When you go to you go to Israel today, even today, you get in an elevator. They have a Sabbath elevator. It stops at every floor, all the way up, all the way down on Saturday. It stops at every floor because a devout Jew pushing a button that says, I want to stop at the sixth floor would be... Starting an electrical current to do all that that they consider that work. So you get on you good every floor it opens, every floor every along the way. Again, taking what God meant, by the way, Jesus tells us the Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. And legalism makes us, us a slave to the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath to us. It was what God gave to us as, as, as a time to rest, as a time to focus on him, a time to take some time and, and, and look to him, thank him for what he's done for us, to take that time during the week. Now, I don't, I'm not going to get all legalistic and say, okay, well, if Sunday's your day, you better not do any work or whatever. But I think, I think it's easy for us, and it's, it's pretty much shown by the way we are. We take, we, we take the... Um, duty away, I guess, or responsibility away from that. We say, hey, don't judge me, man. That's Old Testament. But look what's happened. There's probably a few people here still that can remember when on Sundays you couldn't find any place open to, to do business, right? And, that's the way, and that was, again, out of reverence to the Lord, to give a day to the Lord, to give a day to rest, to... Did, did anybody, well, obviously not, since y'all you raised your hand. None of you starved to death on Sunday because there wasn't a store open. And, but we've gotten so far away from that. And I, myself, am convicted by that, you know, that, that how much of my Sunday afternoon, evening is really set aside, devoted to the Lord, to thank
1: him for, you know, taking that, taking that time to just set that, that day aside. And we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt.
0: The part of the Sabbath law was that every seventh year they didn't plant. They didn't, they didn't put the six years they they planted, harvested, everything, but the seventh year they were to leave the land completely alone. Now that requires a whole lot of trust, right? God promised that what they gathered the sixth year would be enough to get them through the seventh year. But again, that requires a lot of trust, that we're gonna believe God for what he said. And that's, you know, again, easy for us to look back and say, well, and by the way, if you remember, they never did it. They never gave the the seventh year off. And God said that when he took them away to. To, into captivity, he said, you're going away for 70 years because I'm going to get my Sabbaths back. Nobody's going to plant or harvest for 70 years because you owe me 70 years. But the, the, the point is, when we look at that, let's just put ourselves in their, in their sandals for a second. Year six comes by, and you pull in the harvest, and it's just a little bit more than a year's worth. It's not two years worth based on your calculation. Are you going to trust the Lord? Are you going to say, wait a second, he promised he'd give me two years worth at the end of six, and I know based on what what we consume in a year, this isn't enough for two years, so I'm going to plant the next year. Or are you going to say, you know, this doesn't look like enough, but I'm going to trust God because his word said. And bottom line, That's what I believe that our takeaway with this comes from is, again, we're not talking about planting in the seventh year and all of that type of stuff, but do we trust the Lord for what his word says? I think the two are very closely related. The time that we spend with the Lord, the time we spend in his word, taking that extra time, whether it's a day, whether it's a few hours on that day, praising the Lord, spending some extra time in his word and in prayer and just reflecting on how good he is. I would imagine that it would probably alleviate a whole lot of stress and anxiety the rest of the week. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, That they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Look at the birds. You know, sometimes it's just that simple. (laughs) Get all stressed out. All worried about tomorrow.
1: God promised. And I'm looking in my checking account and there's not enough there. Or whatever. Look at the birds. I I love this.
0: They don't sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds
1: them. By the way, he's not their heavenly Father. He's their creator, but he's your heavenly Father. And if he's going to take care of them that way, and
0: he loves you, Way more than those birds. I don't care what PETA says.
1: (laughs) You're far more valuable than they are. (laughs) Jeremiah 8 7
0: says, Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove, and the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration, but my people do not know
1: the ordinance of the Lord. Look at the birds. They are completely, completely content. They know what to do because they follow what, again, God, God's placed within
0: them to do. It's us that has the problem. <laughs> I guess being bird brained isn't that bad a deal. Verse 27, Jesus continues in Matthew 6, And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life?
1: And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers around. They grow. They do not toil.
0: They don't spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Do you believe that? That God knows what you need? but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, if we, what Jesus is saying is if we would take all of the time that we spend worrying,
1: stressing, toiling, and take that time and focus on the Lord, worship him, focus on his will, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus is saying that everything else will be taken care of. He's not saying don't, don't, don't think and don't plan. That's not what he says. What he says is do not worry. Don't stress. And
0: I think that that goes back even here, trusting the Lord, believing what his word says. Why in the world else would you not do that? I mean, just think about it. God's promise is take a year off (laughs) and I'll provide for
1: you. They say, no, thanks. I'd rather work really hard. Verse 32 we also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly
0: one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of the Lord. Notice this. We placed ourselves under obligation to contribute. Not, not a legalistic requirement, although it was in the, in the law. By the way, it was a half shekel. And here it shows, again, the grace of God. They're in a situation now where most of them, again, just because they're just coming back, they're still in slavery. They're dealing with all of this stuff. It's, it's a third of a shekel that they're put in here. By Jesus' time, it's back to a half shekel in that story that is told about the temple tax that they have to go get. And Jesus says to Peter, go get the, go get the, the hook and throw it in the fish and the shekel in his mouth. And anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Back to a half a shekel then. But again, in loving response, they're giving, again, in, even in their poverty, it's down to a third of a shekel, they're giving to the service of the house of the Lord for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. Again, trusting God in what he commands what he desires for us to do, understanding that God doesn't do these things for
1: his own purposes. His commands aren't burdensome and they are designed to bless us. The amazing
0: thing about, again, God's, God's command, and it's going to get down here first fruits, firstborn, the tithe, and that, and we'll get to that in a second, kind of tie it back into what we're talking about now. But newsflash on, on giving giving to the work of the Lord, giving to the service of the house of our God, all, all that type of stuff, uh, on tithing, on giving, God doesn't need your money. So why in the world would we, why, why do we give? Why, why is it that we do? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, you yourselves, Also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. They gave to him. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is bragging on the Philippians to the church in Corinth, and he says this, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you by the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Remember, he's talking about that in Philippians. Then in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. It wasn't because they were, they were abundantly rich that they were giving. No, they were actually in poverty. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Absolutely under no obligation to do it. They did it of their own accord. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Do you look at giving that way?
1: Begging. Would you please let us give to the work of the Lord.
0: Begging with much urging for the favor of participation. They get it, and we're gonna get back to what they get here in just a second. And this is not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us. That's the key. First of all, giving yourself to the Lord. When you understand that as children of God, he supplies everything to us, it all belongs to him, including Us? He purchased us out of slavery. We're children of God, yes, but we're slaves to Jesus Christ. We belong to him. So he says, first they gave themselves to the Lord by the will of God. He goes on as in the the chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians is this lesson that he's giving them about giving, and again, not under compulsion, not not because it was the. It says of their own accord, begging, urging. But he says, "Now this I say," in chapter nine. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Again, if you're doing it out of compulsion, grudgingly, don't, don't. Again, God doesn't need your money. This isn't about, about the fact that God, you know, God's going, we're God's going broke
1: we got to make sure that we keep God in business. <laughs> it's not at all what it's about. It's about, again, being, tr- trusting the Lord. And it's about this. He
0: goes on to say, back to Philippians chapter 4, not that I seek the gift itself. It wasn't about Paul receiving the gift. But I seek for the profit which increases
1: to your account. An account is being kept. God notices. He's keeping record of that.
0: But I have received everything in full, and I have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma. He received what was sent to him, but he says it was an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. In verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting. There are a couple of verses in Philippians chapter 4 that are taken completely out of context, and this is one of them. People love to quote verse 19. They don't like to read the three verses I read before them about giving sacrificially, giving an over, you know, even beyond what they are able they look at the che- they they were looking at their checking account and they were like going, "Man, there's not enough in here, but can we please be a part of giving to the work of the Lord?" Verse 19 that says, "And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus." His riches. Abundantly giving. God is a debtor to nobody. He doesn't owe anybody anything. <laughs> He pays back. And again, not in kind always, but I will tell you, I know some of the most generous people I know, a couple in particular, giving to the work of the Lord around the world, they can't give their money away. God just keeps, it's like, for crying out loud, okay, because God knows they're trustworthy. He trusts them to as a, as a conduit for his blessing around the world. It's, they're, and they're some of the most joyful joyous people I know, and you would never know it, looking at the way they live their lives. But God is, God is amazing. Jesus borrowed Peter's boat, and a couple hours later, they had a haul of fish they could
1: hardly, <laughs> hardly take in. Verse 34, Likewise, we
0: cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, the people so that they might bring into the house of God according to our father's households and fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Here, here's this. Not everyone could give. Not everyone not everyone was in that position. Every, as, as believers I believe the word is clear. We're all to give as the Lord lays on our heart financially. But above and beyond that again giving of ourselves everybody could go out and gather wood and and that, that was needed the church they needed that at the, the there was the fire that on the altar that had to be going continually and and in order for the levites and the, all of them to be doing their work they couldn't be going out to do the wood to gather the wood so they, they said well we could do that i can i can i can give as much with this or i couldn't do those types of things but i can go out and get wood and bring that. They see a need and they, and they met it. There's a lot of needs within the body of Christ. There's a lot of needs here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. In addition to the, the financial needs, there's, there's needs just needing to be done around church. I mentioned some of those a little bit ago, the Operation Christmas Child to, to help serve in that. See, if you see something that needs to be done it, it's okay to ask, but you don't need to ask to, to pick up some trash around or to pull a weed if you see it. Or, I remember, um, uh, well, if he gets mad that I told you his name, that's his problem. Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy Monreal, pastor now at Cosetcha Church. Jimmy's been a part of our church for many, many years. And I, I know very few people that have a servant's heart like Jimmy's. And Several years ago, it, was, it would usually be around Tuesday or so that the smell in the foyer would start to come because all of those you know, half-drank coffee cups with creamer in it that were just thrown in the trash can would really start to smell around Tuesday. And he noticed that you know, there was, there was the, the, the trash needed to be taken out after the service on Sunday. So you know what he started doing? Taking the trash out. He, went, he emptied every trash can on the campus on Sundays. Nobody asked him to do it. He just started doing it. And I finally, I, I was the assistant pastor at the time, and I, I said, hey, what are you doing? Taking out the trash. How come? Because nobody else is. And he just started doing that. And he was faithful in that, and God continued, faithful in little, granted more and more, and now he's a pastor, and I tell you what, Jimmy still takes out the trash, not every week here after Sunday service, but he's a guy that walks around. He's one of our deacons still at the church, and he's looking for things to get taken care of and, and seeing the need and doing that. We have, we have needs to set up and tear down for events, different things that are going on. If that's something that you say, hey, I could, I could do that. I could help out setting up tables and taking those down every once in a while. Let let our our, our Connect team know. Call the office. Say we know we need We need help every once in a while, volunteer help, making copies and doing different things for children's ministry, putting things, setting the rooms up and all of those kinds of things. There's all sorts of little things like that. It says, you know what, I can't, I maybe can't load boxes onto a semi-truck, but I could make copies, you know, come in for an hour or two once a week, make copies. I could do that. There's all sorts of little things that need to be done. And these were, these were saying, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to go get the wood to take care of that. Verse 35. And they might bring in the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruits of every tree to the house of the the Lord annually. The first fruits, giving God the first, the the best that comes, and trusting God and, and thanking him for the best. They or the rest, I'm sorry, they give they gave the first fruits. And again, that's trust. To give God the first fruits as they come in, that's trusting that he's gonna take the rest. So many times. And again, we just, the Lord, does the Lord get the first or does the Lord get the leftovers? And to bring to the house of God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. The firstborn, there again, that reminder that God. That God brought them out of Egypt. Remember the final plague that that brought them, the the death of the firstborn and the Passover. God passed over so the firstborn were spared. This is the continual reminder of that. And so it wasn't like they brought their firstborn sons and left them at the temple. And then the Levites were, you know, raising all of these firstborn children. No, they brought the firstborn to the temple and then had a sacrifice given. And there were different sacrifices for, and they, Mary and Joseph did that for, for Jesus. They took him to the temple and, and dedicated him there, and there was a sacrifice given. But for the for the flocks and those the firstborn, giving that as a as a sacrifice, and that's again trusting. If that, if that particular pair doesn't produce another another offspring. That, that, that's trusting the Lord, that that will happen. But that's, again, giving God the first and the best. Verse 37, we will also bring the first of our dough, and that's not money, that's <laughs> dough, bread dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine, the oil, the priests, and the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. The priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. When the Levites receive the tithes, the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, the oil, the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. Again, just tying this up with, with again, the, the, the last part of here, dealing with, with giving to the work of the Lord, giving to the house of, of God. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of, again, anything other than just gratitude for what God has, has given us. It's, it is because he, he tells us to do this, but in response to that, what he's saying with that is, trust me. Trust me. I will take care of your needs. I will do that and this is how he he's designed it and and again it's more than just a a tithe or or a gift financially it's again all of us god what is it that you want from me how how can i be of service to you and to your people i i i'm not <laughs> by the way i'm not saying help you know we're going down <laughs> No, we are, we're, we're, we're a blessed church. We do, we do rely, obviously, on, on everybody pitching in, though, and being a part of that. And I, I selfishly ask for that because I, like Paul, want you to be blessed. Because there truly is a blessing. Giving financially, yes, but also being a part of what God is doing here. I, I love sitting down and talking with people who just it just happened just this past weekend we had a, a little thank you thing for the, the children's ministry workers, and somebody at the at the at the the deal told me said I, I I took your challenge six months ago or whenever it was that I said that I said I dare you get involved in children's ministry and you come and tell me later that you're not blessed. I'm here to tell you, I'm blessed. <laughs> I, I'm getting way more out of it from the kids and watching their lives get changed and, and hearing their stories than I am giving to them. And I said, in any regard with that, it's, it's a blessing to, to serve one another. It's a blessing to, to, to give to each other of our time, our talent, and our treasures. And they said, this is, this is what we're going to do. We're consecrating ourselves. Setting ourselves apart for the work of the Lord. And we're going to get into chapter, chapter 12, the dedication and consecration of the wall and everything. And yeah, we're not going to get there tonight. So we'll, yeah, I'll let you go home. <laughs> Next time, Lord willing, we'll, we'll finish up Nehemiah, but we'll see. But. Again, guys, what a, what, a, what, a, what a neat lesson, anyway. I, I was just blessed by this as I'm going through this. Again, God working in us as we spend time in his word and in prayer, and God lays this on our heart. I mean, I, I so desperately want, again, revival. I want, I want our church to be transformed. I want our city to be transformed. I want our country to be transformed. I want, I want the world to come to Jesus, but I know it's got to start right here. It's got, to start, it's got to start in me. It's got to start in you individually. And then as we go out then and as we share that and as we move outside of our walls and, and God's, God's got great plans. And I'm excited about that. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word and the blessing that it is for us and the, the very practical real life today lessons that are in In your word, as as we read tonight in the children of Israel in Nehemiah's time, how you moved upon them, and they responded by by consecrating themselves, by setting themselves apart, separating themselves from the world and separating themselves unto you. And
1: Lord, that's our desire. Would you would you do that work in each of our hearts? And Lord, we, we say, like, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will follow you. And Lord, as we do,
0: those around us see what it is we're doing and see the joy of the Lord or the joy that you bring us in that and follow after. Lord, we pray for revival. We pray. Lord, we know, you're, we, we know the statistics. There's 120,000-plus people In this city that you've placed us in. We're not here by accident. But so few of them know you. So few of them. Are following after you. Lord let us be.
1: Those examples to them. That they would see. And give you glory. Lord have your way in us.
0: Lord we pray again for revival in this city. And that it would spread out from here. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.